Is it rolling? Rolling. (laughs) I think we might need to keep that part. (laughs) Boom. We're on. Uh, This is thrilling for me. This Welcome to the Beautiful Voyager podcast. I am speaking today with B. Dukes. B. Dukes is a colleague at Pinterest who, frankly, I've always had my eye on as a fascinating person. When I first met B, all I knew was sound bath healer. This was my original awareness because I was working on Pinterest TV and we needed people that could host sessions. And so B not only sort of creates sound environments, but also has this incredible setting for a sound environment. So we're going to get into that. But there's this whole other world that I started to get to know as I scratched the surface of B, which is around psychedelics and the study of psychedelics and the study of healing. And I really want to learn so much from you that this is going to be part one of a two-part, three-part series because B is studying psychedelics and I want to get into what that means and what that looks like. So B, take me from the beginning. When did your journey with healing begin? That is a very good question. I feel like my journey with healing started at a really young age in a very traditional sense growing up as like a young black kid in the South. So I came up in this very Baptist church space that was all about healing in some ways. And a part of me always had questions. It was just like, hmm, is that all that I want to like inquire around and about? And I found myself doing a lot of healing in that space as a really young person. What I remember that look like. Was it I was music? like I'm imagining music is part of it. Yeah, I played music in the church as a young person, but I was also like at sixteen counseling married people like, what? with children. <laughs> How, which how did that <laughs> that's tell me everything so it was really interesting i was just like meeting different people in the space and just providing a lot of encouraging words and support and i remember this uh, gentleman came at one point and was just talking to me just started like spilling his guts which is a now is as an experience i've gotten used to <laughs> i'm laughing because because that has definitely happened for <laughs> So, so, yes, you're you're such a natural keeper of the space that mm. I could see people doing that with you for sure. Yeah, he just started spilling his guts and talking about, you know, his marriage and the things that were challenging. And I was, you know, just told him, I was like, hey, so we're going to do this exercise. I want you to go out to the dollar store, get a composition notebook. And I want you to write down all of the things that you love and appreciate about your marriage on one side of the page. And then on the opposite side of the page, I want you to write down the things that are challenging. And then on the page after that, I want you to talk about how you contribute to the things that are challenging and what you can do to try to rectify the space. And wait, my face is like, you can't see it if you're only listening, but my face is like almost confused. Like, how was young B so wise about these marriage 16 years old? Like, where did this come from? I don't know. I honestly, I have to give it like the credit to like ancestor ancestral wisdom um growing up as like my great grandmother's last great grand oh wow and having her like i grew up very backwoods deep south south carolina and we did a lot of what i consider magic work Mm. back then and so I think it all came from like my, it all comes from my great grandmother's, like her voice, her wisdom, her energy, and just me kind of operating as a vessel when the information kind of gets dropped in. Cause sometimes I say things and I'm like, what? 
where did that come from? <laughs> like, when, when did I develop that thought process? And it was like in that moment when you were having that conversation. And was it, it sounds like a very nature centered reality. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Were you like out in swamps? I'm sorry that I don't know. Like no, I have spent time in South Carolina, but yeah. like, I don't know. I'm like sort it's, of grafting novels on top of your experience mm -hmm. as you're talking. I think it was, so the swampy part is more of like the low country, like in Charleston, I grew up on like dirt roads, like clay. Like we used to have foot races with no shoes on. Like my grandmother always had animals that she kept and we we're hunters. And so it was very like woodsy. And did you hunt as a kid? My cousins did. I didn't when I was there. My brother still does. My grandmother did back then. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that stuff I learned after I left home and then came back and started learning how to hunt. But I did a lot of fishing and like we did a lot of like sitting around in the living room and everyone cleaning the fish that they caught that day. And so... I learned a lot about that through like nature and the land. And how do you think of now magic? Like what can you tell me more about the magic? Yeah, I think the beautiful part about identifying it as magic now is it's a lot of the root work that came with the experience of growing up in the backwoods. Um, where my great where my grandmother lives and across from her was where my great grandmother lived and also where on my mother's side where my great-grandmother lives, where my mom now lives. If anything were to happen at our homes, it would take any local official so long to get there that we had to learn how to take care of ourselves, whether it was defense, whether it was medical care. Um, and so I think the magic in it is all of the different herbs and root work and medicines that my grandmother and her mother and her mother's mother and that whole family lineage used to use and even still to this day they still use to like heal and physical healing and emotional healing and I remember calling my grandmother maybe like before I went on my first trip earlier this year and I was like so grandma and that's like how all of our conversations now start when I have questions and she's like what's up baby and I'm like did y'all make your own medicines and she was like, yeah, like, and if we didn't know, we would write to our uncle and he would send a postcard with all the herbs that we would have to gather. And I like, assume you how were to like, make please it. give me those cards. Yes. <laughs> I need those cards. I was like, yesterday. I need these ASAP, first of all. And like, <laughs> where do I get them? Where is it? Where is this knowledge and information? And so we're still still trying to get it. But I'm like hoping that in this lifetime I can. Did you, do you, can you give an example, like, do you remember <clears throat> any examples of something, let's say if someone suffers a loss, like, was there certain or whatever, anything that you can think of that's like an example of that? Yeah, I think one of the greatest examples of like that root work magic or just the magic that experience was like, as a baby, I had colic and I also had thrash in my mouth. That's tough. And that's tough on a parent, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I got kicked out of daycare oh, because damn. I cried so much uh, when I had colic. And when I had thrash, my great-grandmother asked my mom. She was just like, bring that baby over here. And my mom was like, you know, Brittany, she's like, not doing well and all this stuff. And so my great-grandmother was like, bring the baby over here. And so my mom took me over to her house across the street. and she picked me up she like whispered something to me that to this day like I guess only I know 
because no one else heard her. And then she blew into my body three times. And like my mom said that like I wiggled a little bit every time she like blew her breath into me. And then later was like, all right, Brittany will be fine. And? And I was fine. (laughs) So it was just like that very indigenous because from what i know my great grandmother was a part of the cherokee like lineage and then also um her father was from the west indies oh wow so coming from a lot of like spiritual cultural medicine as far as healing and very traditional how do we work with what we have to create healing this was always in you this makes sense now this is good for me i'm putting together the pieces tell me about this like sort of after you left South Carolina what happened next in your journey yeah I left home and I feel like that was when a lot of the inquiry around oh I have questions about what I've been taught versus what else is out there started so I left South Carolina went to Florida to go to school in Winter Park um, and while I was there that was like the first time I went to like a Buddhist temple is this college for college, this is college yeah, yeah okay yeah. So we went to college. I went to college and yeah, I went to a Buddhist temple for the first time. Which and you're was like, super hmm, I'm interested. Yeah, I was like, this is medita- <laughs> tell meditation. Tell me more. <laughs> like, because it's like you hear things and I tell my mom all the time. It's like how I grew up, especially like in a religious space. You heard things, but you weren't instructed on how to do the thing. Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I would hear like meditate and pray on the word. However, there was no one teaching meditation classes. So it was like, is what I'm doing meditation? Right, right. Like, am I reaching this peak that I should be through this practice? Like, am I doing it right? right. What am I doing? Am <laughs> exactly. I doing it right? So I think while I was there, the inquiry started and I started to learn more and more who I was outside of the space where I grew up. I always had questions and I think I wanted to always respectfully ask the questions and be like, but why? That's such a nice way of putting like, it respectfully. I feel like yeah. I never was respect. That's nice of you. <laughs> Be like, what? What? But so, and you're non-binary. And when did that mm-hmm. like sort of enter your identity? I feel like that was something that I always felt. However, I didn't gain the language honestly until I came to the Bay Area. I think it was something I, that I always you were sort of living without yeah language for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, which I feel like is often the experience, yeah. especially with the English language. Um, it can feel very limiting. So I'm like in this space of existing. And by then, this is 2019, where I'm like more publicly being like, I'm non-binary. Because prior to that, between going to school, going to college in 2012 and 2019, it's like seven years of like figuring it out. Yeah, 20s, a.k.a. our 20s. Falling into stuff. Like I had my big like mental breakdown at like 20 one 22 years old what did it look like it was it was intense in a sense that um trigger warning for folks just like self-harm um it was really interesting because i was spending a lot of time in the industry so i was working in entertainment and like filming events and parties for a lot of folks and i got to this point where the people that i had invested so much into kind of just like threw me out into the cold and Mm. at the time I wasn't speaking to my parents me and my best friend from college had like fallen out for a period of time so they were the hub that Mm. I called home 
that is a hard time of life. Mm-hmm. That identity, that is like identity, identity. Like, yeah, it's like trying to feed. And all of these folks that I was working with as well were at least 10 years older than me for the most part. So, and I grew up being the baby of four siblings, and most of my siblings are at least 10 years You're older. You're used than to me. this dynamic. So I was like, this is like what I grew up around. But then it became a space where I was like, oh, this doesn't feel healthy anymore. Yeah. And so I got to that very, very low point where I was like, I'm done. I'm out. And, you know, actually tried to, like, take my life. And I think that the waking up for me, like, coming out of it and being okay was the first time I realized that sometimes things happen to you for someone else. Tell me more. Because shortly after that, I had that experience. I woke up. I was like, okay, clearly it's not my time. Wow. And maybe a month or two later, I ended up talking someone else down. Whoa. Which for me was completely transformative because so much of the culture around self-harm or suicide is that, oh, you have to be such a weak person to do that. Mm. Like, and it's like, it's so misunderstood. It is. It's so misunderstood. People do not know how to talk about it, describe it, think about it, like. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only the people that have sort of lived the experience seem to start to form language for that. Yeah. And so it was a lot of direct empathy for that person and also thinking about what would I have wanted to hear yeah. in those last moments when I was trying to make phone calls or yeah. when I was trying to reach out to folks like, what did I need to hear? What did I want to hear? And how could I potentially change this person's life or save this person's life? And wow. I'm thankful that they ended up not harming themselves or wow. doing like really well in life right now. Um, oh, and that experience is directly related to how I communicate about even psychedelics now and like what that teaches people and what does the sensation of suicide actually mean. That um, I'm so glad you're still here. Can I just. <laughs> um, but it doesn't surprise me that you've had to go into sort of the deepest depths to start to gain this and I think that's really interesting that it was through talking to someone else and helping someone else that helped you probably start to get perspective on your own experience Mm -hmm. I think that's true a lot of the time um and I'm honored that you shared that with me so thank you um but tell me more about then was was sort of ancestral wisdom and medicine part of your life at that point or had you sort of drifted away from it I think at that point I had drifted away from it especially because i wasn't surrounded by a community of folks who also embraced it you hadn't found your way yet yeah i was waiting to be in that space that i'm like in currently yeah i was gonna say now now look at me and i'm like all of my people are like medicine people or like healing people they like care about healing people and so i think at that time i was wanting that and wanting a lot of guidance around it. But because of the industry that I was in and the folks that I was around, they didn't have what I needed to show up fully or to just learn enough about myself to want to show up fully. Um, so it was interesting. It was interesting working in the industry and like wanting to be about healing and like trying to figure out how to wiggle that in in the midst of everything yeah. else. Um, just side note for people listening, B works in our really incredible Pinterest um av tech but it's like audio visual creativity music like putting together events and 
just it's a really great group of people that are very creative in lots of different ways. And um, and I realize now, as you tell me this timeline, like sort of starting into you, you pivoted your career a little bit into these this skill set you got when you were younger. But now it's like more targeted. Right. And it mm-hmm. it seems like it almost gave you space to start the other stuff. Is that true? Yeah, it is. I, I tell folks all the time I've done a lot of different things. Um, part because I'm very like, what is that? Like I was a very why kind of kid. So I like want to know how it works, why it works. But it as works. you said, respectfully, which respectfully. is so sweet because I was a why kid and I feel like, like I was not as respectful. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like I've definitely kind of have this very interesting wide spectrum of knowledge just from asking the questions and being like, yeah, I want to do that. I'll do that random job or like. Part because of survival as a creative and like freelancing for five years of my life before I ever had a full time job. And so part of that was like, all right, if they need you to go hold a pole and just like stand there all day, you're going to do that. Or if you need to go be a runner for a shoot, you got to do that or got to hold space for someone. Got to do that. So I think all the different things kind of helped me land where where I am now. When did your official study start so now you're in a program which i want to hear all about but when when did that begin that began officially um early this year it's like when we started taking classes um the journey to get to the actual program started last november um i was up in portland at a cultivation class taught by my um cultivation mentor darren lebaron from london and I was excited because I had just been connected with Darren through an amazing harm reduction um, individual, Camille Barton, who's also was based out of London, I think currently either in Amsterdam or Berlin. And I went up there because I was like, I have the opportunity to learn how to cultivate from like a black man, which I thought was huge because I didn't know a lot of teachers who were from the diaspora. And so I went. Can you tell us what cultivation means? Cultivate. Yeah. So it's like (laughs) growing the the art of like growing mushrooms. So that is like something that I love deeply. And yeah, Darren taught this class. We went to the first night me and two of my friends the second night or the second full day was great we went to dinner came back my car had been broken into my work laptop was stolen my personal laptop with like all of my music and all this stuff was stolen um and so much stuff was taken and in that moment there was a sensation of like there's something on the other side of this and the next day when I went to the class we finished I ended up talking to the person who owned the space and that's who told me about the program and up until that point, what was your relationship with mushrooms like? Um, I first started engaging with mushrooms maybe six years ago. Um, like a lot of folks who, you know, are introduced to the different substances or medicine. It was like at a festival. However, that particular summer, I was working the music festival circuit. So I used to do a lot of stagehand and audio production on festivals like Bonnaroo and Electric Forest. And so I was doing my circuit and I was like, okay, I'm looking for mushrooms this summer. Like, I feel the call. I want to answer the call. And I went to Bonnaroo. And were you like consciousness expanding or how did you think about it? then? I feel like at the time I was really just like, this is calling me Mm. and there's a message that's there that I want to tap into. 
Um, it felt very intentional, though, because that summer and most of the time in the industry, you're, you're offered so many different things, so many different substances. And the dis- the inner discernment was like, that's not it. That's not it. You're looking for mushrooms. And so I uh, first got them at Electric Forest and had an amazing experience. Um, and were you super intentional? Were you like... I'm going to be with someone I really like and trust or like, how did you, how did you think about that? Yeah, I was very much so like, okay, I've heard what people define as like a bad trip and how that's usually induced by like the lack of intention around set and setting yeah, and that's who they're all I'm around. That's specifically asking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I definitely actually ventured out first on my own. Like I just was like, all right, I know this space. i you know built the festival with my friends so I know where to go where to go if I need quiet and solitude and so I like got my little bag and I was like okay cool I don't have a scale but I feel like I can gauge this and I like ate some and I just like went walking through the space and I was wandering wandering and I came up on the forest stage and that year this artist uh, French Kiwi Juice or FKJ was playing saxophone at at night it was like maybe 10 or 11 at night and I hear these like remnants of messages during this set which is just like the world is yours like this is your time to like step into your magic and I was just like okay these messages and then later that night I went to another set and that same message ended up being in their set what (laughs) It was wild. (laughs) It was wild. And I was like, okay, this is like affirming what I heard earlier is like prominent and something that I need to like latch on to. And my immediate response after having my full experience was like, why don't more people from my community know about this? Um, Why is it that, you know, psychedelics have been deemed a lot of times and especially in communities of color as like, that's something that white folks do. I was going to say white frat guy. I don't even know what the perception would be, but I would assume. Yeah, <laughs> it's very like, uh-uh, I don't do that. And I think what was the thing that lit a fire in me is like, well, I don't think it's fair that our community gets to embrace um, Xanax and Oxys and Lean and all these really harmful substances to the physical body. And then this other community that we've deemed like this is their stuff it's actually things that are like opening up the heart and the mind Mm. and so I was like I need to learn what I need to learn so that I can communicate this effectively to my folks and so that we can have these heart opening mind expanding experiences and also heal a lot of trauma that's present um just from our experiences so I was like all right I need to learn (laughs) so that's kind of when it started was I think that was summer 2016 I was like, okay, that's incredible. I need to learn more about this. And so you started on this journey that then led you to this moment. Your car's broken into, Mm -hmm. you're going to the cultivation class, and you heard about this program. Yes. Okay. And what is the program? The program is, um, it's run by this organization called AWE. Um, They're technically based in Panama, um, but it's called literally the Psychedelic Therapy Training Program. Um, And it's a three-year program where a group of, I think right now it's about maybe 35 of us 
per co- cohort. Um, we have like online classes with folks from across the industry. Like our first classes was with the amazing Kalia Taylor, where she taught us about the ethics of caring and power dynamics and what it means to be in a space and be ethical with all that comes up with psychedelics and just those alternative or extraordinary states of consciousness. So we go through these classes and then two times a year we go on these trips. Yeah, that's fascinating. (laughs) I'm completely fascinated by it. And by the way, the reason that this is part one is that B is about to go on one of these trips to Ecuador and we're going to do another one after they come back. So I'm super fascinated by this. So, um, when you first started doing the classes, were you like, these are my people? I was, and I was really intimidated mm. because... I mean, you seem to have the roots, though. It was hard because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't fully confirmed this, but I believe I'm the baby of the program. Oh, as usual. <laughs> I mean, that's always, it's always 10 years older. Look who you're talking to right now, 10 years older. <laughs> So I'm like the I was the baby of the program. I am the baby of my cohort. And a lot of the folks, I would say the balance is about 80 to 90 percent of the folks in my cohort are probably at least 10 to 15 years older than me. And most of them are licensed therapists. Interesting. So it's sort of this thing that we keep hearing, which is that the future of mental health is different types of psychedelic experiences or some element of that or microdosing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But like you're seeing it in reality. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a lot of my classmates have their own practices, have been practicing for a long time. Some folks are like working in the underground and have been for a while. Um, so I think when I entered it, I was just like, am I supposed to be here? Like, is like, I want to be here. Like, I'm, I love this and I want to learn all this. So like, also these folks know so much and like they have phds or like they're clinical psychiatrists and I, can i just say i wish that everyone were sitting in my chair to look at b's face because the light the eyes <laughs> light up i mean it is like so you're you just have such an expressive face like am i supposed to be it's like, it's like <laughs> Like, almost like I can see little B. You know what I mean? Like, I can see your younger self coming yes. out when you say that. It's really <laughs> great. How long did it take you to realize you were supposed to be there? The first retreat. Okay. And that was, so that was one of the first two trips, right? Yep. Wait, you, have you done, how many have you done so far? Just one. Just so one. Far. Okay. And yeah. which one was that? That was to Columbia. So we do like one Western, what they consider more of a Westernized retreat per year and then we do one pilgrimage where we go into like an indigenous community and sit with them and learn how they practice their medicines that's what we're going to talk about afterwards in part two (laughs) just teasing part two again but with the columbia one what was that so where did you go and what did you yeah we went to guasca in the mountains to this beautiful retreat space owned by the person who runs our program's father um, and I think that was a moment for a lot of us that like sealed it and was like, oh, this is like our folks because <laughs> I have this really funny picture of this like puppy that looks like it just got out of a tub and it's just like shaggy and just looks pitiful. And I sent that to our group chat at the end of the retreat because it was like 10 days of nonstop shadow work. Whoa. 
like deep. Can you describe what shadow work is? Um, For me, shadow work is going into like the depths of who we are and pulling at those things that are that we describe as less desirable about ourselves and just taking a moment to sit with the things that exist in our shadow. And can um, is there any example that feels like you could share it of an element of that that you sat with and how it changed? Yeah, one of the most beautiful exercises, um, one one concept of healing and group therapy that I fell in love with was family constellations. And that was this art of like being in a group setting and one person would be what we call constellating or working through an issue. And they were to pick people from the group to represent parts of their family. And so we did that in groups where the whole group would be supporting one person. And then we did it in small groups of three. And so the most impactful thing was we addressed abandonment. Um, we worked with grief, rejection. And so like for abandonment, we had to pick folks in a group of three. And then one person would stand across from two other folks. And they had to represent our parental unit. So if I'm standing in front of these two people, I have to walk up to one person and ask them to represent my mother, one person to represent my father. And then I had to talk to them about how their abandonment impacted me. And then they would have to like physically contract themselves down to the floor and look at me and tell me like, it wasn't you. It was me. I didn't have what I needed to love you. And we're like all in the room, just like doing this work, bawling, crying. Everyone's working through this parental grief and then they and were there mushrooms involved like were it no so no. this is without mushrooms this is okay. without any okay. medicine at all okay. this is just like a group practice and so we work through that people are crying going through the parents are reaffirming telling them and then you had to say like i will no longer use you as an excuse Wow. in the world and then you go through you like dance through the room once it's all done and then afterwards you have to come back to those same two people and now they represent something that you abandon wow so it's like acknowledgement and accountability fully did you feel a change absolutely what was beautiful about my experience is that i've been what i've call parenting the parents for the past like year and a half two years parentified child mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's been really beautiful because I'm at a point where like my parents really listen wow and they listen like very deeply like I've I my mom is like if I had to have a top client it's my mom <laughs> it's amazing you know we talk all the time and we'll have like hour-long conversations where we're working through process and identity and all of that so I felt like for those exercises I had been doing that work so it wasn't as painful but it was more so a lot of my tears was just excitement for knowing how far we've come wow. to be able to sit in that moment and be okay and then the other exercise which is what I love is we had to write a hundred things about our shadow with our non-dominant hand and then at the end of that, we had to select five of those words and write it on our physical body. Wow. And then walk around the room and look at each other. And that was before our first medicine ceremony. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's just so much foundation work, it sounds like. It's a lot of prep work, or yeah. as I call it, preventative care, um, which is something that I learned the most while in Colombia. I think it redirected, it rewired how I think about how retreat should work. And was, and was that based on Colombian 
practices or was it sort of that was the setting? Like how much of it was studying what happens in Colombia versus? I think it was mostly just centered around like how the folks who are teaching us practice. Okay. Um, some of them are from just like South America in general or Latin America. Um, so that's where a lot of the teachings come from. It's very like word of mouth passing on of knowledge um and our teacher told us that at one point he was like you know you can write things down or copy them but eventually you learn what your medicine is and how you show up in these spaces the thing that amazes me about like learning more about your whole story is this phase you're in right now which we were having lunch together and i was telling you like i just I can't believe I didn't think to interview you before because you're just on the brink of this like explosion. It's like you're Mm -hmm. learning all this stuff and this creativity is coming through you. And I'm wondering how, what does that feel like? It's really, it's really sweet. It can be scary sometimes. I think I was talking to someone you know, at the company maybe last week. And I was like, honestly, when I first started talking about psychedelics at work, I was a little nervous. Like I was nervous about how it would be perceived because I had gone through experiences of just like being radically honest about mushrooms and different psychedelics. And people started to joke a little too much. And it became like, oh, did you take mushrooms today? Yeah. And I was like, that's not necessarily how I operate in this space. I know that it can be like a really good time for folks and really playful, which is great. It's just not my personal approach because I'm really big on safety and like harm reduction, which is what fueled my studies. I was like, I need to learn what it means to care for people in these spaces. Not yeah, just that's like why I them. think of you as such a healer. Like, mm-hmm. how, how do you see yourself? Do you? Is that how you identify? Like, do you think of yourself as a healer? And is that like the path you, you're on? Or I don't know. Where do you, th- how do you think of this fitting into your life? Yeah. I, you know, I think I'm more comfortable now calling myself a healer um, because I like to insert healing and care in everything that I do. Um, and I think the thing that I'm the most excited about as far as moving forward is how do I continue to do that everywhere, whether it's here at work and having these conversations or just encouraging folks to move slow? Um, I think that long term, um, I would love to even still work within spaces to just consult, hold space for others, um, ask leaders of companies and teams, like, what are you doing to truly like ground before you start making these major decisions that's going to impact a whole org while also like launching my private practice, Mirrored Healing Arts, which is centered around holding space for community folks who come from cutie BIPOC spaces and then allowing kind of the micro dosing uh, mushroom cultivating world to fund that work so that I can always hopefully provide free to like very low cost care for folks in marginalized communities that has always been a core pillar of your work and belief Mm -hmm. i know that what about um in terms of legalization 
we do have some news, right? And yeah. yesterday was officially Magic Mushroom Day. I it think. was. <laughs> so tell me about like where things stand nationally and or here in the Bay Area. Like, how do you how does it work? Yeah, it's it's incredible because of course San Francisco just decrimmed, so that was like a big movement. Um, and he came up push. to me the other day and was like, <laughs> "Plants are legal," and I was like, "I kind of know what you mean," <laughs> but then Google. <laughs> never pretend to be cool <laughs> and then realized mm -hmm. yeah that was really exciting because oakland has been decrimmed for quite a bit now as well as santa cruz and a few other places that went uh full decrim i know detroit there are some amazing folks working on the campaign there. it's interesting because those are black communities like mm -hmm. is that leading the way in this world what's interesting is that a lot of the black voices are a part of the conversation yeah and a lot of like the it. like research is pulled from a lot of those places like um brother mudu in detroit like he led that and he was a um, working directly under baba kalindi e., who's known in the mushroom space and the psychedelic space is like the king of high dose and he was like a black man that taught martial arts and a lot of his studies and research and all of that was pulled from and used from a lot of those for a lot of those movements um you're carrying on the tradition try try my best <laughs> you're trying you're my best there. so there. but yeah baba baba paved the way for a lot of folks um and continue to just inspire a lot of people um and i think a lot of folks in the space myself included are just nervous about the decrim movement Same um, because I think decrim is fine. It's like, okay, cool. Now we can practice with our medicines and not worry about criminalization. Legalization is usually what comes after decriminalization. Which involves people making businesses out of things and then it changes and yeah. becomes like businesses. A hundred percent. And it also then like what's happening in like Portland, it's like, Yes, there can be psychedelic or psilocybin-assisted therapy now. It's like, you know, next year is going to be a big year for that industry. However, when I was reading some fine print for cultivation regulations, they're like, oh, you can't use animal waste or byproduct, which is like manure has yeah, been used for course. cultivation for yeah. uh, ever, maybe? Extremely really nutrient-rich. <laughs> so then you get into like these regulations that control how medicine is being made. Um, and then I, every day I get on LinkedIn, I see some VC person like, oh, I just invested millions of dollars in psychedelics. And I'm always that person that's not afraid to be like, are you considering how this is impacting marginalized communities? Um, because there's like all this cash getting thrown at companies that have access to technology and all these things. And then you have folks like myself or like friends in the Bay Area who are just trying to get enough capital to like build a space that we can grow in. Well, this is also why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I just want to amplify your voice. I just want more people to learn about this work and understand it and have a real authentic person, be it on LinkedIn or whatever, to listen to about this. So mm -hmm. or read your next book or whatever it might be. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited that you're almost just starting this journey in a way, cause it's going to be exciting to see where it goes. Yeah, Is there anything like, you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet for part one? For part one, I would love for folks who are listening and interested in this space 
number one, don't hesitate to like reach out to me. But I think the biggest advice I could give is just to move slow while being in a state of inquiry um, and move with like discernment because there's going to be a lot of people out here offering things. But there's unfortunately a lot of folks who are wanting to be psychedelic assisted therapists who haven't done psychedelics. That's really good advice. Um, one thing I love about you is you've always felt very grounded to me and I'm very drawn to it. I think you even said like the light in me finds the light in others, which I think is such a beautiful thing to say. But um, you model that approach of like move slow with deliberation, with inquiry. So that's just very beautiful, B. Um, yeah. I have one final question for you. Do you yes. think of yourself because it's beautiful voyagers for overthinkers, people pleasers and perfectionists. <laughs> Do you identify with any of those terms? Yes. <laughs> I, knew there was a re- I knew there was a reason we liked each other. Absolutely. Because I'm, first of all, fun fact, I'm a double Virgo. Oh, there we go. And I have a Taurus moon. So I'm a triple earth sign that is full with like, and for the folks who are into Enneagram types, I'm also a five. And the work of the five is to put yourself out there. And that is because so much of that energy is harnessed because mm. we're like, am I ever actually ready to because, do the thing? I mean, I didn't write for 20 years of my life because I, when I got out of college, I worked with some incredible authors. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to be a Nobel Prize one <laughs> like the ones I work with. So I mm-hmm. won't write. And I... Just if there's one thing I could convince people of, it's that everyone has their own voice and yes. you don't have to compare yourself to friggin' Nobel Prize winner or whoever it may be. Yes. You don't have to be perfect to start. You're Absolutely. never going to be perfect when you start. Absolutely. So I'm definitely big overthinker. I like overthink a lot and my social anxiety shows up in overthinking because I like have these social interactions and folks are like, there's no way you have social anxiety. I know. And then I go home and I play back all the social interactions I had that day. Um, Can I tell you, like, you are the softest place to land in the world, and yet last night I was worried. (laughs) I was like, tomorrow, I I mean, easiest person to talk to. Like, no reason, like, great setup, amazing. But um, I still was like, okay, we gotta do that tomorrow. It's so dumb. It's so unnecessary, but it's also really real. So thank you, fellow beautiful Voyager, for sharing that. Thank you so much. And um, tune in for part two. It's going to be coming after Ecuador. We're going to learn all about the ancestral medicine that B digs into. So thank you, B. Yeah, thank you, Meredith, for having me.